you look up Flagstaff, Maine on Google, it will tell you that it's a lake in Maine. But that wasn't always the case. In the early 1900s, it was actually a town. But it was to be flooded, and so now it's a lake. But before it was flooded, all the improvements in the town stopped. All the repairs in the town were stopped. Because what was the use of, of painting a house if it was just to be destroyed in several months? Why repair anything in the town if it's just going to be wiped out? So week after week, the whole town just started to break down. The town began to perish before it was actually flooded. Because the people in the town, they had no faith in the future. And without faith in the future, there's no hope in the future. And without hope in the future, you don't have the power in the present. Tonight, as we continue our series on faith in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, we're going to see how having faith in the future gives us a hope and a power to live in our present lives. Over the last several weeks, the writer of Hebrews has presented us with Abel, who worshipped by faith, and Enoch, who walked by faith, Noah, who obeyed by faith, Abraham, who just went by faith, and Isaac, who recognized the will of God by faith. And last week, we looked at Jacob, who leaned on his staff by faith. Tonight, the writer of Hebrews turns our attention to Joseph. Now, he lived a life that exemplifies faith. There are many moments from Joseph's life that we could envision as examples of godly faith. He overcame adversity in his circumstances when his own brothers sold him into slavery. Or maybe exhibiting the victory over sexual temptation from Potiphar's wife. Or maybe faithfully surviving years in prison for a crime that he didn't even commit. But the writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 11, verse 22. It was by faith that Joseph, when he was about to die, said confidently that the people of Israel would leave Egypt. He even commanded them to take his bones with them when they left. His commandment concerning his bones is singled out as the most remarkable proof of his faith. But this should be a good reminder for us that maybe we can be poor judges of what God really delights in. Because so often we want to do the big things for God. We tend to measure ourselves against our own standards, about our own perceptions of what we believe to be important and impactful. When we get to heaven and view our stories in light of eternity, 
we might be surprised to see that God has highly commended the things that we actually wept over. And that those things that we gloried over just get tossed into the fire. Because we tend to look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He inspired the writer of Hebrews to write about the one moment which showed Joseph's character and faith in full force. And it was all about the instructions he gave regarding his bones. Just regarding his burial. Why is that why did that matter? Didn't Jacob give a, a instructions based on where he wanted to be buried? Because Genesis 49, starting in verse 29, says, Jacob instructed his sons, Soon I will die and join my ancestors. Bury me with my father and grandfather in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite. This is the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre and Canaan that Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite as a permanent burial site. There, Abraham and his wife Sarah are buried. There, Isaac and his wife Rebekah are buried. And there, I buried Leah. It is a plot of land and the cave that my grandfather Abraham bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished this charge to his sons, he drew his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and joined his ancestors in death. See, the difference is Jacob's request were within his son's powers to complete and fulfill. See, Joseph was a man of great power at Jacob's death. He could accomplish all that his father requested. It was humanly possible. Jacob commanded immediate burial of his body with his ancestors in Machpelah. But Joseph delays his burial until the Israelites enter the promised land. He would not be buried until the covenant, the promise, was fulfilled. His command to be buried only in the promised land after they had taken possession of it as the fulfillment of God's promise, that showed the power of his faith because he knew without a doubt that God was going to fulfill that promise. It may not happen for hundreds of years, but he was confident that God would fulfill that promise. Listen to what he says in Genesis 50, starting in verse 24. Soon I will die, Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear an oath, and he said, When God comes to help you and lead you back, you must take my bones with you. Joseph was so confident in the grace of God to fulfill that divine promise, it was almost as if he could see the deliverance of the Israelites into the promised land. Remember, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things that we cannot see. Joseph couldn't physically see the future promised land based on what he sees around him at that moment. Actually, it would appear almost an impossibility in that current time. 
but he's so confident that God will fulfill the promise that he made back to Abraham. That promise was relayed in Genesis 15, starting in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land, where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that (coughs) enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. This makes no sense to our human sense of reason. But faith never reasons. Faith believes. The Israelites are currently living very well and very comfortably in the area of Goshen and Egypt. There's no reason to believe that they'll be enslaved. They have favor in Egypt. Listen to the words. The news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived. Pharaoh and his officials were all delighted to hear this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers this is what you must do. Load your pack animals, hurry back to the land of Canaan, then get your father, all of your families, and return here to me. I will give you the very best land in Egypt, and you will eat from the best that the land produces. The Israelites were so well respected in Egypt because of Joseph that when Jacob died, the word says the nation mourned for 70 days. They have it very good in Egypt. There's no reason to believe that they're going to the promised land. None at all. Why would they ever leave to go to Canaan? Canaan, they weren't welcome. They weren't wanted. They had everything they could ever want right there in Egypt. But Joseph didn't let the current circumstances dissuade him. His eyes were fixed on the promises of God. His eyes were fixed on the promised land. The improbabilities, the impossibilities meant nothing to Joseph. God said it, so he believed it. It didn't matter that 200 years had already passed since the promise was made. God's timetable is in our timetable. Faith always looks ahead. It looks beyond the mountains that are challenging us. It looks beyond the valleys of our circumstances. And it looks to the shining light of God's promises on the horizon. Faith is the confidence that God's promises are going to be fulfilled, no matter how long they seem delayed to us. Because we want the quick answers. We want the quick fixes. We don't want them today. We want them yesterday. Maybe we're asking for the wrong thing in our prayers. Maybe we're not thinking big enough. Maybe God has a bigger plan for us in mind that we can't even fathom. When God delays in answering our prayers, it's to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a disciplining of our heart. It's a subduing of our will to his. It proves God's character. It improves his faithfulness while growing and perfecting our faith. The way Joseph's faith is displayed at his moment of death is remarkable. He's at the height of power 
He saved the country from famine. He's considered part of the nobility. He's part of the royal family. He has all the honors and all the riches of the most dignified office. Acts 7.10 makes mention that the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now, Joseph lived for nearly 70 years in Egypt, which is a land of idolatry worship. They worship living things and non-living things. And even though he became one of the most powerful men in the country, he never loses sight of God's promises. He never loses sight of who he really is. He's a child of the one true God. See, when Joseph commands that his bones not be left in Egypt, he testifies to those around him that he's an Israelite. He is not an Egyptian. He was not ashamed to tell the world that he found his support and his confidence in the word of God. Because had he thought of himself as an Egyptian... He would have wanted his tomb among them. But his alliance, his heart was aligned with God. Archaeologists have actually found a tomb in Egypt with the name Aitzaf written on it. The hieroglyphic inscription on the grave, on the tomb, describes a man who was a stranger to the land, a man who saved the land, and was put in charge of the granaries. Sound familiar? It's believed that this tomb was actually meant for Joseph, but he declined the honor because he was not an Egyptian. He was an Israelite. In his request that his bones be taken from Egypt and buried in the promised land, He's separating himself from the Egyptian world. He's denying the worldly riches and honors that would be bestowed upon him. Is our faith that strong? Can we cast off the worldly riches and cease chasing after those temporal endeavors that we identify ourselves with, that fulfill us? Church, may our minds be engaged with heavenly things. May our hearts be so tied to heaven that we're able to look down on the earthly things with disregard. May we be courageous enough to say that we might be in this world, but we are not of this world. We're followers of Christ, and we choose to live lives worthy of his sacrifice. There's another point to notice with Joseph's command to take his bones to the promised land. His faith is an encouragement for others. His bones become a message of hope for the Israelites. Every time someone thought of the bones of Joseph, they would be reminded that they were leaving that country someday. They would not be there forever. In the 400 years of bondage and slavery that the Israelites would endure in Egypt, Joseph's bones would serve as an encouragement. 
It was an encouragement and a reminder that God would free them and bring them to the promised land. Joseph provided the people (coughs) with the assurance of his hope that God was going to fulfill that promise to bring them back to the promised land. Joseph's bones were a reminder to the people of his faith. It offered the Israelites hope for the future. It gave them the power and peace of God to get through the present struggles that they were enduring in their slavery. And God honors Joseph's faith. He made sure that Joseph's bones were buried in the promised land, not left in Egypt. When Moses leaves Egypt, Exodus 13, 19, says Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph was made the, son, made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, God will certainly come to help you. And when he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. His bones were carried out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They traveled through the wilderness with the Israelites for over 40 years. But they finally made it into the promised land. Joshua 24:32 The bones of Joseph which the Israelites had brought along with them when they left Egypt were buried at Shechem in the plot of land Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor for a hundred pieces of silver This land was located in the territory allotted to the descendants of Joseph What lesson is there for us in Joseph's dying moment? That our faith is not to be based on human reason. It's not to be based on human thoughts or human understanding. Our faith should be based on nothing else but the very word of God. Because our faith relies solely on the promises that God makes. And faith sees the power of God. See, Joseph saw everything that God was doing. When his brothers come back the second time to Egypt, and Joseph reveals himself to them, this is what he says in Genesis 45, starting in verse 5. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years. There will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. (laughs) So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. That is a powerful faith, one that sees the sovereignty of God over all things. It's a faith that sees the power of God. When you're going through a valley, can you say, don't worry, it's God who put me here. When you're hurt by someone's harmful, hurtful words, can you say to them, that's okay? 
because God is in control. That's hard, but Joseph did it. That's the power of his faith. Because a faith that sees the power of God also experiences the peace of God. When he has the chance to get revenge on his brothers after Jacob passes away, this is what he says to them. Genesis 50, starting in verse 19. Joseph replies, don't be afraid of me. Am I God? Can I punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Joseph's faith in God's character to fulfill his promises. It gave him hope for the future. With spiritual eyes looking ahead with hope, He experienced God's power, and he experienced the peace of God. The things that hurt us today, the things that we struggle with today, they're only for a time. They're only temporary. They're being used by God to transform us, to prove his faithfulness, and give us a hope for the future. What is our hope? Our hope is someday we're going to see Jesus face to face. Our hope is that someday we're going to see the loved ones in Christ again. And our hope is that someday we're going to be seated at the supper table with all of them. Wow. When we see the hope of our future... With eyes of faith, we have the power to get through today. When we remember by faith the unbreakable promises of God, we'll have that unshakable power of God. And only then will we experience the unmistakable peace of God. And when we experience the power and the peace of God, We become salt and light to those around us. That's when we point people back to Jesus. That's when we're free to love in a way that matters. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope we have in Jesus We thank you for the hope that lies ahead. Father, may we keep our eyes fixed on that hope. May we look towards the horizon. May we constantly look towards heaven as not just our destination, Father. May we look towards heaven as our motivation to love those around us. May heaven be the motivation that we use to love, that we use to transform ourselves, Father, to become more like Christ. Father, we thank you for for your presence here tonight. May we leave here changed people. May your word cut us to the core, Father. May we leave here ready to shine your light for a dark world. In Jesus' precious name.
Amen.